Hi everybody, welcome to the Education Council's podcast, Teaching Today. This is your host, Francesca Hilbron. Each month we'll speak to experts from the education sector for insight and discussion on issues and ideas. It's a podcast about teachers, with teachers and for teachers. So we're back for our second podcast as part of our Teaching Today series, this time talking about teacher well-being. And it's my great privilege to welcome our panel, Jackie Maguire, a registered clinical psychologist and managing director of Umbrella, an organisation bringing practical solutions into the workplace to improve well-being and performance. Good afternoon. And Māori cultural and well-being specialist, Professor Mehana Jury, head of Massey University's School of Māori Knowledge, Te Pūtahia Toi, a former secondary school teacher, Mehana has a special interest in increasing Māori success in education and sport by integrating Māori values, worldviews and customs. So welcome to you both. In talking about teacher wellbeing, it's important that we acknowledge that the environment for teachers is in a constant state of flux, with changes pending by government, continuous revolutions in technology, ever-increasing challenges in student behaviours, and also that low well-being can exacerbate the already high demands of teaching, potentially impacting uh, quality and safety. Mm. So we're keen to hear about what our teachers can do to alleviate negative effects on their well-being through practical solutions that can be easily implemented. Mm. So Mehana, perhaps if we start with you looking, I think, quite far back into your former life as a school teacher, what did well-being look like for you then and how do you define it now? It's a very good question, I think to answer it firstly, it's, it's important to recognise the critical role that teachers play in the development of, of our young people. Um, I'd, I'd say that first and foremost, that um, the acknowledgement of the, the role that teachers play is, is very important. Secondly, I think it's a, it's a complex question with a complex answer. And to, to come out and tell you that it's about these two things would probably deter the conversation from talking about other determinants of well-being as they relate to teachers within the context of education. However, I think from a Māori worldview, um, when you ask uh, about the wellness or the well-being of a teacher, um, there's two things that come to mind for me. The, the first thing is this notion of modi or vitality is incredibly important when we talk about wellness from a Māori perspective, that Modi can be in two states, it can either be languishing or it can be flourishing. And I think for, for teachers that question is very relevant because the, the question obviously is what are the determinants that enable our teachers, or the modi of our teachers, and, and I think about our Māori teachers in particular, to flourish. And, and that's a complex question again. The other uh, probably less discussed element of the well-being of teachers and of course students is this notion of mana. Um, not mana from the perspective of power or influence, but mana from the perspective of spiritual vitality. Mm. And that um, perspective, I think, of mana is often lost in the broader conversation around things like power and influence. But from the, the viewpoint of the determinants of teachers being well, a Māori worldview would suggest that both of these elements Māori and mana are equally as important and ideally um, the environment in which people teach ought to be conducive to flourishing vitality both within the context of mana but also Modi. So, so Jackie, in the context of your practice yeah, sure. and 
how do Mahana's comments resonate with you and in particular how well-being is defined by your organisation? Well, well, listeners can't see me here nodding as, as you talk, Mahana. Um, and so my first thought was I think it's actually really important to acknowledge and validate to teachers um, the challenges they face. Um, and I think if we step outside of a teacher's role for a second and think about humans in 2018, you know, we live in a world that is... That is a VUCA world, um, which says that it's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous. The world in which we live in is constantly changing. Um, And when you put that, as you say, in a teacher's um, context, what does that mean? Uh, That means that teachers have to deliver on the deliverables whilst managing changes in technology. That means that they have to change with changing government, um, etc. And what does that mean in terms of how we operate? What are we reporting on? What's important to our students? And, and you know our stakeholders and our parents etc so I think it's really important to acknowledge that the challenges they face are real um, and an echo of Mayhana in our organisation in our practice when we talk about well-being mm-hmm. I would talk about thriving or flourishing um, And for me, if we take away all the science behind that, which I'll share with you in a second, if we boil that down, to me, my words are, how do do you feel like you are nailing it in life? Mm. How do you turn up to work and feel joy? Um, How do you face the the niggles in everyday life? Because they'll come. Don't live in a world of rainbows and butterflies all the time, unfortunately. Um, but, but how do we kind of see those challenges and overcome them and keep moving forward? How do we be really well connected in our community and whether that be our teacher community, um, whether that be my community or my whanau, you know, how do, how do we link in and have really strong networks so that we can be the best versions of ourselves? For the daily life of teachers, they come into this job because they care about the potential of young people and so often they put the needs of learners before themselves and sometimes to their own detriment. So what are the sorts of signs teachers should be looking for to know if their well-being might be under threat before things start to get out of control. Sure, sure. So I think you could take the old adage of you need to put the oxygen mask on yourself before somebody else, and I cringe every time someone says that to me in a workshop or in the workplace. But it's true. If we're going to help our young people thrive, then we need our brains in good shape. We need to be able to control our emotions. We need to be able to stay calm, etc., um, to do that well. Um, so if if for myself as a teacher I started to notice my well-being going wonky or a bit wobbly, it's really important to look holistically at myself. So part of that might be, has my thinking shifted? So perhaps I normally can take a big big picture, flexible, rational approach, but perhaps I'm finding that um, my thinking's really negative at the moment or I have that story of here we go again or I'm going to kind of I'm going to do my best but it's not going to make a difference why should I bother or why would I kind of go and try and do something different if management are just going to shut me down or so if I start having negative thinking like that and it's out of kilter for me that that could be a sign um, if we extend our think, thinking or cognitive signs, it might also be that it's really difficult to hold concentration. So perhaps one of my pupils is talking to me and I found that I'm like, my brain is gone, I'm out the window and I'm not, I'm not here and present in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So you can look at the, the thinking aspects. Um, emotionally, I think again, if it's those shifts. So if I'm noticing it's really difficult to find positive emotions or to experience that, that to me would be a sign that perhaps my well-being is a bit wobbly at the moment. Um, or if I find myself 
kind of perhaps fly, flying off the handle a bit more easily. So normally I can kind of hold myself in kilter, but, but, but it's shifting to being kind of quite over the top in my emotional reactions. Um, physiologically is probably some of the easiest signs to see. So mm-hmm. if you notice you're getting headaches, if you notice your sleep isn't very good or, or you're um, waking up in the night kind of worrying about what you didn't do yesterday or worrying about what you've got coming up today, um, changes in your appetite, um, lethargy, being really tired, um, changes in your breathing. So often when people's um, well-being is getting a bit wobbly, they, they kind of ca- catch their breath or notice that they're breathing from their chest, this kind of breathing, <laughs> rather than breathing from their belly. And the kind of last sign, I'm painting you a cognitive behavioural model here um, of well-being. <laughs> my, my last sign is, in your behaviour, does that shift? So are you normally an outgoing person that loves being around people and and you're finding that actually you don't want to have that conversation with someone in the corridor or you just want to go home at the end of the day and, and tuck up in front of Netflix, for example. Or um, perhaps you find yourself more worried and needing reassurance from your from your dean or, or, or your leader, um, check, checking in more regularly, etc. Mm. So I think it's really about knowing yourself well and seeing shifts in all of those domains, seeing if you can spot them. So you mentioned about looking holistically, and that's yes. obviously very important, Mahana, to the work that you do and the, the concept of the, the four walls of the whare mm-hmm. and work that's come earlier. And you've got a particular interest in cultural identity, I think is a critical component of Ma- the Māori wellness journey. How can that application of tikanga, mana and Māori, what you were talking about before, the, the cultural practice, the spiritual and physical vitality, inform teachers to, to take self-care for themselves when they are starting to notice some of these signs come to the fore? Yeah, I think I'd pick up on a couple of points that you made, Jackie, around you know, some of those triggers of mm-hmm. of languishing. And, and I think that's certainly an area that we can all probably improve on a bit is recognising triggers mm-hmm. for, for languishing vitality. Um, but to come back to the question around tikanga and, and kaupapa, I often use the analogy of um, Maui fishing up to Ika Maui, the, mm. you know, commonly known as the North Island, and, and what is that narrative all about? And, and that, beyond the explanation of the origin of, of this island, upon which we live and, and work and, and teach, the, the deeper narrative is really about um, the search for one's own foundation, mm and the building blocks blocks upon which one builds their own identity. And there's a strong, powerful kind of symbol in, in this big ika, this big fish that was that was brought up in, in Maui. You know, the story, he implored his brothers to go out of their normal comfort zone and to fish in a spot which um, had never been reached before. And I think that's something that we often forget, that... In order to be the most authentic version of oneself, which is the point you made earlier, Jackie, I think we don't necessarily find that that spot and to get out of our comfort zones and to find this um, this kaupapa upon which we establish our own identity. And and often for teachers, there isn't the time mm-hmm. to to explore those things. You know, a teacher, for example, might have gone through university and and learnt all the curriculum within the teaching program without necessarily having the opportunity to explore one's own whakapapa and, and identity. And I think within the context of Aotearoa, um, that provides strength and you know spiritual nourishment in terms of the, the knowledge and the affiliation between oneself and one's own whānau and, and extended whānau. So that's important. 
but also I think having um, a, a really meaningful connection to the community. Uh, a Māori worldview, of course, would be that um, you know we flourish when the tikanga or the outward behaviours, practices, and actions are spontaneous and organic reflections of our principles, mm-hmm. our, our values, or kaupapa, mm-hmm. um, in another way of putting it. And so when there's an alignment between um, tikanga, the things that we do on a daily basis, um, the, the way that we engage with students, the way that we engage with colleagues, uh, engage with whānau, those things are, tend to be reflective of our values and our communal values as well. So there's something in that equation, mm-hmm. I think, which is very important for mm-hmm. teachers to to keep a line of sight of, mm-hmm. which, which is, um, you know, there's a culture that every school has, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a community that's attached to every school, mm-hmm. and that's really important to be part of, to contribute to, but to draw strength from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can, can I jump in? Um, which is interesting, I'm reflecting on what you're saying, Mahana, and the work that we do, we would talk about Taha Wairua, which is, which is your, you know, your spiritual essence and who are you, um, which is have people been able to take the time to do the who am I, what are my values, what do I believe in, and how do I reflect that every day. If you take a Western model of health, that would be am I congruent, you know, that, I think they mean the same thing, they have, they have different words around it, but in essence, who am I, and, and do my actions reflect that. I think when we think about teachers, and and of course we can't always take a broad brush approach, but I'm sure for many of you listening, you are passionate about supporting young people, seeing them grow, um, and being foundations for them in terms of their development. And what we know is when you have people that work based on passion, is that you give it your all, which is brilliant. It means you thrive, it means you bring your whole self to work. It means you probably work 150% of the time, all the time. And the downside, or the double-edged sword aspect to that is when you work from passion, if you don't have the time to look after your well-being, you fall harder, you know, you, you burn out. And so, you know, as we think collectively about teachers, as we think about schools protecting their teachers, it's how do you harness the passion, how do you harness people's commitment to their values and care for each other so you can sustainably do that rather than burning out. Um, I mean, to come back to your point, Jackie, I think... There's also an acknowledgement that wellness is cumulative. Mm -hmm. So there can be a quick deterioration if there's accumulation of this happening, then that happening. And and that issue, in my view anyway, has been exacerbated through social media Mm -hmm. and the access to the digital world. Mm -hmm. Because what, what we know now is that teachers are required to um, to be responsive to you know inquiries online and you know it's really interesting in France I've just passed a law there around emailing and weekends Mm. and and, you know there's a shift away from allowing um, employers to demand the Mm. response online over weekends I think that's a very interesting move and right to disconnect the right to disconnect (laughs) that's right and and I think about teachers and in the community that I'm from you know they spend a large chunk of their time out of the classroom, out of school hours, actually being online and, mm. and responding to all of these, you know, these things that they need to do as part of their job. So, in terms of you know basic things like having rest and, mm. and getting a good night's sleep, very very difficult if you're if you're online and you're responding to to questions and those sorts of things. So I think there's something in there that we need to be um, cognizant of. Mm. Mm. That's a really good point, and I think it brings to you, Jackie, some of the work that you do around that 
organizations versus the individual mm, sure. and what's in my control and what's out of my control and how much of our self-care should be driven by our organizations mm. our schools and centers and kura and how much comes down to individual teacher mm. responsibility well i see it as a partnership and i'd add a third element to that so at umbrella we'd look at three tiers which is when we take individual so me as an, ind- an individual person if i'm a teacher as an individual teacher what's within my responsibility in terms of looking after my well-being um, and actually from an organisational or, a, or a, um, you know, a teacher's collective point of view, how do we upskill indi- individuals to have those skill sets to know how to turn their brains off at night so they can sleep well, that maybe mindfulness is really useful or progressive muscle relaxation for example. It's about, um, it's about teaching individuals that actually putting your pedal to the metal, working 100% all the time, our brains actually can't sustain that. We're not designed that way. We need to be able to oscillate between being on, which if you're a teacher in a classroom, you are on 100% of the time when you are with your kids. Um, so how do you then recover when you're, when you're not, which might be, for example, um, you know, making sure um, that you get recovery in morning tea and afternoon, you know, tea times or um, rostering, for example, when parents can come and speak to you so that actually you are not on all day and then have a whole lot of things in the afternoon. Um, I, I was thinking of myself running workshops, which I do regularly, and thinking about this podcast going, it's like I've got a room of 15 individuals and when I'm finished the day and I'm tired, 15 managers are waiting outside the door mm. for me to talk to me and like, actually I don't have the mental capacity to do that. So what <laughs> might be a piece of advice you'd give to a yeah. teacher who, whose organisation is saying, we care about your well-being, yes. it's important to us, but hey, have you done that report I asked for or yeah. have you finished uh, this piece of work? What's a technique they might use to try and navigate that? Yeah, so again, I think... I think it's not a simple answer because I think for individuals we know about recovery, it's things like can you breathe from your belly, diaphragmatically breathe to recover your brain for example, can you make sure you exercise, there are all those um, well-being techniques that I'm sure your listeners will know, you know the complex part to this is are we upskilling individual teachers um, around emotional intelligence for example um, so that they can pick up um, their, their own emotions and how to regulate that, they can pick up parents' emotions and how to regulate that, etc. I think that's around are we upskilling teachers to have um, warm, assertive conversations, which actually might be about setting boundaries for parents at times, for example, or feeling like they have got the ability to do that. Mm. So in my view, it's how as an organisation or a school or how as an industry do we support the individual teachers to have skill sets outside of bricks and mortar of teaching because I actually think that's really important. And I like your point there around uh, parents' expectations, setting boundaries with them but also picking up on some of their cues. And Mehana, in your work, obviously Fano is a very important part of the puzzle for having a well-functioning system. What advice might you give to professional leaders or principals in terms of how do you bring your community together to make sure that we're all working together to have a positive impact on teachers' well-being, which then flows onto the well-being of, of learners? I think, firstly, it's about having a really clearly defined set of principles or, or kaupapa. So, and, and schools tend to do that really well. You know, There's a, a motto that a school might have, or a whakatauki, and... And the challenge, as always, is to give expression to that whakatauki or to that motto. Um, conversely, I think that there's also um, a lot of work to be done in, in the way that um, communities engage uh, at the interface with, with schools, with staff, with, with principals. And, and again, 
there's a really broad spectrum of how those things happen across Aotearoa. Um, what we do know, of course, though, is, is that really successful um, models of education have the community right in the middle of, of, of the delivery so that the community are a meaningful part of um, the system, of that, that philosophy of teaching and learning and not kind of isolated or, or kept out of the, the school gate, so to speak. So I think there is recognition um, by many principles that the school does well when the community does well and, and the community does well when the school does well and so that, that kind of understanding is, is really critical and, and important. Um, but to return to the question around the individual mm. wellness or health of a, of a staff member, of a teacher, again I, I would suggest that a Māori view would be that um, the obligation of the school is for the health of everyone, mm. students and staff, mm. and the obligation of the community is to ensure that those who are in roles of responsibility, a teacher, a kayako, a principal, that the community can support them to do their job to the best of their capacity as well. So there's this kind of uh, inclusiveness mm. when we think about hauora and we think about modi order, mm. um, flourishing vitality. When you look around Aotearoa right now, there's some really, really good examples. And I'd use something like Iron Māori as, as a good example. It's not a, a school per se, of course, but it's a, a model of uh, inclusiveness where, irrespective of one's sporting capacity, mm. um, everyone feels reasonably open about going into that space because there's a, a collegiality, a, um, a sense of unity around mm. the kaupapa. Mm. Can I jump in? in? In terms back to that individual teacher well-being, we know that for, for, for humans, <laughs> the things that are helpful on an everyday mini recovery are, are positive emotion. So that generating positive emotion help, helps your brain recover. Some of the most powerful things you can do are sing, <laughs> uh, dance, for example. And it's like, can teachers incorporate that into their teaching day, for example? Perhaps more, perhaps more with primary school than <laughs> you might get your college students up dancing with you, maybe. Um, but can you incorporate some of that into your teaching day so that you're also teaching young people as you recover yourself? Um, to implement some of those pra practices. It is things like, like mindfulness or teaching people to be still or breathe. So, so can teachers do that with their students? So if we kind of think outside of the box, how do teachers incorporate oscillation between being on and recovering as a part of their teaching day rather than just outside of teaching hours, for example? So I think you've put down a challenge there to some of our teachers who, who might not be doing that mm -hmm. and might now like to try that as an opportunity within their own environment. Yeah, I think the other element here, so, so there's the individual, there's the organisation or the school, <laughs> the body, and then the other element here is about teams. So within every school there will be teams of teachers and my question always to teams, whether you are teachers, doctors, lawyers, accountants, no matter who you are, is how do you have each other's backs? And so part of that is, can you spot if one of your peers, one of your, your fellow teachers is wobbly, is, is having a difficult time? Um, and maybe that requires training to actually learn how to spot those signs in each other. But if you do, can you have a conversation of, hey, how are you going? Kind of notice you note yourself. Do you need any support from me? Those basic communication and um, social connection skills are really important. Is that about having flexible systems within teams where 
at times someone might have more of the slack than others but you share that around so that you you know throughout the term you oscillate together so you have times where you're on and times where you can can recover through that for example um, because as you say there might not magically be more resource or the organisation might not shift around you, but you can create your own culture within a culture. Um, and that's really powerful when you see strong teams working together and supporting each other. That's a big protective factor um, for things that are outside of your control. So do you think, Mayahana, then that, and, and you mentioned it before, Jackie, we talk about wellbeing a lot from the social, the physical and the emotional has there been a significant shift, say, from the 1980s when the health system started looking at uh, mental health well-being and the Māori worldview? Has there been a significant shift in how we look at the spiritual side of well-being, given that it's in, in all of us? Yes and no. Um, yes, in the fact that there's a greater realisation that spiritual well-being is conducive to being satisfied about life generally. And, and this notion of spiritual well-being can be um, demonstrated in, in lots of different ways. So I think there's a, a greater knowledge um, across the wider population that spirituality looks like different things for different people. Yeah. Um, we're not beholden to a particular view of what um, comprises spirituality. So that's important to acknowledge. And I think there, in Aotearoa there has been a, a big shift, um, particularly in, in recent years. Um, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in the education and in the educational space around the expression of spirituality, both within the classroom, but, but more importantly within the general well-being mm. of um, teachers and, and students. And whilst Te Whare Tapawha is is in the system as a, a model, I do think there's still challenges uh, for the system to give meaningful expression mm. to that. And, and again, it, it brings me back to the question, what constitutes wairuatama um, in this place as opposed to this place? So, you know, we have schools right across the country and, and that's going to look like quite different um, as you move across Aotearoa. But to go back again to the point that Jackie made, I think there's things that we do which are expressions of wairuatama. Mm-hmm. For some people that's... Um, getting out and going for a swim. For others, it's um, sitting down and, and listening to music to settle oneself again, um, to be in a state of modito where the modi is, is at rest. Uh, that's really important when you think about the, um, I guess, the dynamics of a classroom, and like you were saying before, the, the teacher at the front. So those are, are important considerations. Um, the other thing, too, that came up in our conversation earlier was... Um, perhaps the the demotivation that occurs over time for for mm. teachers, where I guess it is a sense that a teacher is beholden to a curriculum, and and within that curriculum there's this rigidity, and there's not much room to be someone uh, for someone to express themselves as a teacher within what they have to do. Therein lies the importance of um, seeking out new knowledge. And we see there's a lot of teachers who go through, for example, a bachelor level degree and they think, actually, I've got a real strong curiosity to research this area of education. And that's important. What that does, that postgraduate journey that a number of teachers decide to take, it sparks something else. Mm-hmm. And, and what you tend to find is that um, that spark continues over into the teaching practice. Mm-hmm. Um, that zest for new knowledge, that curiosity is reignited for a lot of people who do postgraduate studies. I only offer up that as one example, mm. but in terms of the Whare Tapawha model, um, 
the stimulation of the intellect to taha heningaro mm. is really important. And if we're doing that with students, we should also be doing with staff. If we're saying to students that, hey, you have to learn this, this, and this because it's critical, mm. um, then that shouldn't just apply to students. Mm. I think schools should really, really give um, staff the opportunity to develop their own knowledge and understanding mm. as, as it's relevant to teaching. And Mahana, that would absolutely coincide with the, um, the Mental Health Foundation's Five Ways to Wellbeing, which growth and development is one of those. So it, it, absolutely in my in my profession, how do I develop? When I do my classroom plans every year, do I switch them up? Because actually that might spark my growth development learning, you know, or do I roll the same curriculum out year on year on year because of time constraints, for example. And again, maybe that sharing within departments to take turns to bring fresh material um, so that as a teacher I get stimulated as well, for, for example. This is a little bit like you were talking before, Jackie, the bringing back the passion yeah. into your teaching. And, and we, we know that teachers, some teachers are struggling and They've come into this career, and one of we've heard from one teacher who said that you know how can I sustain passion for my career, a career I love, but it seems to be depleting the very life force mm. out of me. What do you think the best thing as a teacher can do? And I think Mahana, you alluded to that to bring that passion back in. Certainly, to be um, seeking reaffirmation of one's own identity is is important in this conversation. Um, thinking about the, I guess, the drivers and the catalysts for becoming a teacher in the first place is often the good place to start. You know, that um, enjoyment and satisfaction of um, developing relationships with, with young people and the exchange of knowledge and filling up these kete with, uh, with new bits and pieces of knowledge is, is often a, a, a draw card for beginning teachers. So it's important to keep revisiting that, but, but to also keep asking the question, how can um, practice evolve? And, and in that evolution of practice, sometimes there's a, I guess, a, another trigger for wellness. Right? Out of that enthusiasm and, and a new way of doing something um, is a, I guess, a, a re-energizing kind of force. Mm. Mm. I have a number of thoughts. I have three. Um, my my first mirrors what Mahana says, and the exercise I would use would say sit down with a pen and paper put a timer on for five minutes and write the question, why did I become a teacher? And just write. Um, and this is a mindfulness exercise and the instruction to that is you don't take the pen off the paper until the timer dings. You can write in any language or no one cares about your grammar or your punctuation, sorry to the English teachers. Um, it's about tapping into unconscious stream of thought um, and then reflecting on what you've written. And then I want you to flip the page over and say, what gets me up in the morning? And do the same. And just kind of reflect on those two answers and where the similarities are and where the differences are. And see if you can connect back into your purpose of why you chose um, to do what you do. My, my second stream of thought <laughs> is around what's, what's involved in your, in your day or in a daily week for you. And if you break down your tasks... Can you sit and say, which part of my day or what, or what tasks nourish me? What do I feel good from? What do I get joy from? What gives me vitality? What gives me my sense of passion? Um, the second one would be, what, what parts of your role give you mastery? Because that's a very different feeling of, of mine coming back to feeling like you're nailing it. So what do you do in your day where you're like, yeah, I'm good at this and I've got competence and I'm adding value to other people? And the third one is what depletes you? 
So what in your day drains you? What bits do you not enjoy or you don't like? And if you can sit down and look at those different tasks, some of it you'll have control over and some of you some of you, you won't. But you can actually start to go, can I tweak some of those tasks that drain me? <laughs> can I do them in a different way perhaps to lessen the drain? Or can I start to order these tasks differently in my day so that I don't have a lineup after lineup of um, draining tasks? Do I put nourishing tasks or mastery tasks in the middle? That's really useful. Um, my third um, thought for people was at the end of every day before you go to bed, which is a really reflective time, can you write down three things that you're grateful for? that you've done that day and three things that you've done well and again that connects you back to your to your sense of mastery to your confidence I think it enhances mana um, and in terms of gratitude that helps shape pathways in your brain to start to look for the positive because I know that when I'm tired or I feel like I don't get a break or you know it's very easy for my brain to latch onto the not good stuff but it's really important that we shape our brain to remember what we are grateful for so that's a really nice daily exercise to do before you go to bed I mean there's good points and I'll add to that too I think this idea of shared experience mm. um, is, is pivotal when we talk about teachers because um, everyone's in this together in a school and, and you're all dependent on one another mm. too but from a te ao Māori perspective I think there's a number of parts of daily ritual or koa that you see particularly in, in Kura by Māori um, with the te matua philosophy but it's also very um, very common across mainstream schools as well the idea of beginning the day with karakia mm. and um, using waiata to nourish mm. um, wairuatanga and to nourish mana and, mm. and Māori those things which are uplifting which mm. are a a shared experience mm. and it's not to say that everyone has to be in tune mm. or um, on the right mm. note but when you do a waiati perform it and, and haka and those things mm. are, are really shared experiences and, and what they do is that they tend to elevate um, energy and positive mm. energy and, and you see this all the time across schools and particularly in the sporting domain mm. with uh, waiata and haka and you know I think it's a fantastic thing it's, mm. it's a recognition of the indigenous culture of, of Aotearoa and those things are, are designed exactly for that express purpose to uplift people to enhance unity to enhance mm. wellness so those things are there and, and again those are some other ways I think of just enabling the shared experience to occur I'm sure everyone out there listening has managed to get at least one or two or three things out of this because I certainly am walking away today with a number of elements that I'm going to be thinking about just in my everyday life. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you both so much for coming along and sharing your expertise and knowledge and we really look forward to hearing how our teachers might take some of these skills forward. Kia And that wraps up this episode of Teaching Today podcast. Thanks to all our panel members for their insight and their time, and thanks to you out there listening. Please join the discussion on our social media platforms and keep a lookout for upcoming podcasts posted on our website, educationcouncil.org.nz.